morning. Great to be here this morning, and having been um, lost off a lot of this year so far, it's great to be with you guys today. And um, I've got to find my preach. Where's it gone? It's in here somewhere. There it is. Um, we're going to, as Marcus said, we're going to carry on. As Dan said, we're going to carry on our series on the Psalms. And um, but before we get there, just a couple of things that are coming up um, in the next uh, two weeks, actually. Uh, there's a conference happening next Saturday here called From Everywhere to Everywhere. And um, slide behind me. Our friend Mike Betts will be with us. Um, and, and you've probably heard about this. Maybe you've read about it in the loop or something like that. I don't know whether you're booked in, whether you want to come or not or whatever. But there's this happening. And then also on the 9th of um, uh, February, Friday the 9th in the evening, we're going to be taking a little bit of a road trip for those who want to. And we're going to trot down to Beckles to our dear friends, James and Jess, and the church down there. And uh, there's going to be this Prayers of Many event um, in their building, their new building. I think this might be the first kind of gathering, maybe. I don't know if they've had some Sunday gatherings up to now, but they've only just kind of finished that building, right near the big Tesco's in Beckles. And the reason I raise these things is because we can look at these things like, there's, oh, there's a lot going on, there's a lot to do, and, and so on and so forth. But these things are part of our wider kind of relationships, if you like, as a family of churches. And that's how I try and think about events and things and conferences, that they're not just meetings and conferences for the sake of it. They're kind of wider family gatherings. Sometimes, you know, you have your immediate, if you've got family, your sort of regular gatherings around a dinner table or something. That might be a weekly rhythm or whatever. Then you might have extended family over at the weekend and friends around the table. And, but then you have kind of family events. It might be a birthday where you have maybe a bit more family. And later on in the year, as many of you know, we've got a wedding coming up. There will be hundreds of family at that, because it's a kind of broader thing. And all of those family things are really important and, and good, and uh, they build family as well. And these kind of events are a bit like that, basically. They're a place where there's this meaningful connection into the wider deal of what we're about as a family of churches, relational mission. Um, there's connection in friendships with people from across the churches, so that's why these things are great, that if you're able, it's not a pressured thing, it's just if you're able to with time and all the rest of it and life, we know how full life can be. But on Friday, so on Saturday, next Saturday, you can book in online, all the details are in the loop, and if you don't know and if you're new, maybe ask the welcome team after the meeting, um, or prayers of many if you're able to. And also if you've not got transport to get there on a Friday evening down to Beckles, maybe in life groups if you're going and you've got a car, you've got space in your car, just look to maybe give people lifts. But it would be great to go down there and pile in that building. Give James and Jess a problem with room in their new building. You know, trying to fit us all in. So anyway, hopefully you're able to make that. Um, oh, also, um, past couple of days, Gene and I, we've just been down to Ashford in Kent and, um, to see Graham and Sue. Now, that'll be a name that means nothing to many people. But who remembers Graham and Sue? Dear, many of you do. Dear friends, they send their love to you guys. Graham was an elder here. And Sue, they served the church here for many years. In fact, much of the good that we're living in is because they too sowed their lives in to what's gone on here over many, many years and have been a huge blessing to us as well. Anyway, praying with the Psalms. This is the last in our little mini-series on prayer. So we've been doing that through January, which is sitting alongside our month of prayer. And so the videos and the prayer points have been going out every day, so hopefully you've been getting those and to help us to pray into things. And uh, 
Marcus prayed something in the, in the prayer meeting before this, when we were just meeting to pray, and um, just said something about you know, today being a launch into prayer, and that might be into starting to pray even. But hopefully this month and the culmination of the teaching over this month, hopefully it's, a, it's kind of like a bit of fuel injection <laughs> into the engine to help us to pray because um, I don't know about you, but, and I'm sure that pretty much everyone who's been preaching, I think Marcus said it because I, I listened to yours the other week, Marcus, um, said that praying's not always easy. You know, how do you sustain a lifetime of prayer? What does that even look like? What does that even mean? You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, are you growing in your prayer life? I've got to be honest, I take a step back. I think, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that look like? What would be evidence of growth in prayer? I can remember one of the first times I ever prayed. And it was sitting on the edge of my bed. I can remember it like it was yesterday almost. Sitting on the edge of my bed in 356 Deerham Road. And I don't know if I was even a Christian yet. I must have had some kind of faith, I suppose. But I remember sitting on the edge of my bed praying and thinking to myself, whilst I'm praying, am I talking to the wall? Am I talking to myself? Could I be talking to God? And it felt a bit weird, to be honest, because I hadn't particularly prayed in my life up to that point. I don't know how you find it. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you're trying to find out stuff about it. You're trying to work it all out. Maybe you do pray. Maybe you have prayed. Maybe it's been in a moment of desperation. God help me. Whatever it might be. It's not always easy to pray though. And uh, I worked out that, that I've been praying for roughly 10,000 days. Because it was 10,000 days ago roughly that I prayed that prayer. You can work out the years if you want. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, what's that on the phone? And then I thought, well, 10,000 days, okay. I'm not sure I prayed an hour a day in those 10,000 days. But there's that theory, isn't there, that if over 10,000 hours you give yourself to something, that you become an expert. That has been debunked in some ways as well, shown to be a bit of an overgeneralization, that if you do 10,000 hours of practice of something, you will become a genius and kind of expert at that thing. But I think the principle remains that if you give yourself to something. But I was thinking, actually, it's debunked by me. I'm not an expert on prayer. <laughs> I thought 10,000 days you've had, Toby. And I still find it hard sometimes. And sometimes I struggle to know what to pray, how to pray. But one thing that has helped me are the Psalms. This Old Testament book, and if you've got a Bible, I'm not going to go into any one psalm, but I will sort of touch on a few places and things. So if you've got a Bible, maybe just open it to the psalms at a random psalm. So at least you've got the psalms sitting in front of you, um, or on your phone or whatever. But um, the psalms are this collection of, um, well, prayers, sung prayers, composed over, roughly composed over, maybe 500 to 1,000 at a push years, something like that. This, this collection of books that have been brought together into our, what we have today is called the Book of Psalms, but it's actually made up of five books, and you can read that through. You can see where you've got these end, it'll say book one, book two, book three, book four, and there's a structure to that as well in the way that often each of those sections comes to an end. 
there's not, my understanding is there's not like a, a, a neat sort of this section is about that, that section about that, so those types of psalms and so on. There's a bit of a mixture, but there are sort of themes and won't go into now. But these are this kind of like collection of voices, thousands of years old, collected over centuries that are praising, seeking, questioning, complaining, asking, celebrating, thanking, grieving, lamenting, confessing, and encouraging voices. There's a load of them over many years that can help us in a lifetime of prayer. Through every season that we go through, everything we face, every single... It's there. There's a beautiful richness there within the Psalms. They encompass every season of life. And what they, they do in these, these, these prayers, in these songs, in these thanksgivings, they give us voice with God sometimes when we don't know how to pray. Now, of course, the whole Bible is a bit like that, that it helps us. It's good to pray the Scriptures, and that's probably been touched on already, but I want to give just six things to help us to know how do the Psalms help us give voice to God and to cultivate a lifetime of praying. The first one is this, that the Psalms help root us in God's story. The context for the Psalms, they're, they're not voices in a vacuum. Okay? They're not voices in a vacuum. They're not voices, these, these Psalms that are written. They're written in a context from real people in real places, facing real challenges or praising the real God and, and trying to work things out and grappling with things in their own lives. That's what they are. They are rooted in story, in God's story. One writer put it this way. They said, it's the prayer book of God's people as they seek to be faithful to the Torah. And the Torah is kind of like describes the first five books, particularly of the Bible, but just means teaching. First five books of the Bible. Faithful to God's word while awaiting the promised Messiah. And the Messiah, Greek Christ, is Christ, Jesus. Okay, the promised one who would come and be the fulfillment of all that has been written and promised. And so sometimes when you read the Psalms, and maybe Psalms 77, 8, 9, and 80, and around there, you'll, you'll, you'll hear the psalmists, these songwriters, and they're writing their prayers, and they're, they're kind of looking back to the past story of what God had done. And then they're remembering God in the present, saying, hey, how about in our day? Can you help us now? Can you deliver us now, just like you did in the past? Help us in the present. But then you get this future deal as well, as they look towards the future and say, can you fulfill these things? And so the Psalms root us in God's story. Even when we pray things like Jesus taught us to pray that Marcus covered a few weeks ago, your kingdom come, the Lord's prayer. It's this future aspect, but it's now thing, come now, here. In our present, remembering what God did in the past, remembering the cross, as we pray in the present and look to the future. This is like the pattern of the Psalms. They kind of help us pray that, keep us in the big story, the context of our prayers is the big story, God's story. Which leads us to the next point, really. The Psalms help point us to Jesus. Apparently, the Psalms are the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament, about a hundred times or so. Um, and I was flicking through my, I've got an old Bible at home, my very first Bible, actually. And I was flicking through that, and I think, it was, I think it's Psalm 49. It talks about how, um, what is it, that the, the, the person who eats my bread 
has, has kind of kicked his heel against me. I can't think of it exactly, but it's around that Psalm 49. And I remember writing in my Bible when I read that Psalm 49, Judas eats his bread, betrayed him. The, 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 the Psalms, or the, the Bible, is this hyperlinked text, right? You know, like you get those texts online, you click on a thing, and it takes you somewhere else, and you click on another one, it takes you to somewhere else. The Bible is like that. And it's important to understand that when we read it. You can kind of go in through one doorway, one verse, one, you know, and, and it takes you into a whole kind of wealth of other things through the Scriptures. It's like that. It's all linked. And so the Psalms help point us to Jesus. It said, Jesus said these words in Luke 24, 44, um, Luke's Gospel. Jesus said, all things that are written about me, listen to that again, all things that are written about me, that's Jesus saying it, in the law of Moses, that's the Torah that I was talking about, he said, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, and the Psalms. These five books, some would say that they're, they're five books because they mirror the Torah, the teaching. And as the teaching t- talk is going on, God's speaking to us, the Psalm 5 books help us, as it were, as we talk and pray to God. I'm not saying it is that, I'm just saying some have made that observation, and I think there's something maybe, maybe there. But the Psalms point us to who Jesus is. The first Christians appealed to the Psalms in a number of different ways. One of the most quoted verses in the New Testament of the Old Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make my, enemy, your, uh, my, my enemies, or your enemies, a footstool. Jesus quotes it in relation to speaking to the Pharisees about who the Messiah was. And then in the book of Acts as well, we see Peter when he stands up on the day of Pentecost, if you know that, the beginning of the church. And he quotes Psalm 110 as well. That's in Acts 2.34 to show that Jesus is this fulfillment of the Old Testament. They speak about who Jesus is, what he would do, what would happen. You can read things like Psalm 22. And, I mean, Jesus quotes it. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. But you go on and read the rest of that psalm. You can see why Jesus quoted that, and you can see how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. It's rich. So the psalms point us to Jesus. They help us pray in that, in kind of the bigger story, that you're part of something bigger than just you individually. You're part of a bigger story. They help us to pray also in that they keep us centered on Jesus as well. And I find those two things helpful when I'm praying. The third thing I think the Psalms do is they help draw us together in prayer. It would seem that these Psalms were, many of them, not necessarily all of them, But many of them were written to be prayed with other people, together, in community. Psalm 111 verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Where? In the company of the upright and in the assembly of the congregation. That's where. With others. Gathering on a Sunday isn't ticking a box Sort of, well, that's what we do, because we're Christians. There's something that happens when we're gathered, and this morning, people quoting from the Psalms as well, you know, it's something that happens when the, when the Scriptures are read out by others, and when we, when we hear them. I don't know if you find that when you read. Um, some of you will know way better than this, but, but my understanding is that reading in our heads 
is quite a recent phenomenon in terms of just reading in our minds silently and not saying anything. Simon's nodding, he knows stuff, teacher. <laughs> but, and so when you read out loud, if you're able to, because I, I know that not all are able in that way, but if we're able to read out loud, I, I'm like this, when I read the Bible out loud to myself even, I hear it differently. It's like, oh, did I just read that? And a word jumps out or a phrase jumps out. There's something about that and there's something about hearing God's word together that is really important. And that's one reason why gathering together in these contexts and in life groups is important and, and in prayer meetings together. There's something about praying. I always benefit when I pray with others. I can't say honestly that I always feel like going to pray with others. To be honest, you know, there's a prayer meeting. I don't always think, God, yeah, crack on, let's get out of the house. You know, sometimes I'm just a bit tired or a bit whatever, and, but I always benefit from it. I'm always enriched by it. That's true. And so it's important that we give ourselves, the Psalms as well, they help us come together. You know, even the Lord's Prayer, as Marcus touched on, you've got our Father in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, plural. Yes, there is a praying on our own, and the Psalms can help us there as well. Whether it's through choice to pray on our own, it's a good, not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Or circumstances, sometimes we're just on our own. We're not able to gather with others for various reasons. And again, I love the Psalms for this as well. Psalm 142, just the introduction to the Psalm. Not all Psalms have this kind of introduction, but it, don't skip past them when you read the Psalms. If there's a little introduction just saying the context it was written into or something, then drill into that context. It'll take you somewhere else in the Bible. Read about the story that it's written out of because it will enrich you as you come to read that psalm. And Psalm 142 is a maskil, whatever it is, and, and that could mean like a contemplative psalm, a skillful psalm. And it says it's a, it's a psalm of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. Like that. There's David in a cave on his own, lonely. So where do I go when I'm feeling that way? <laughs> you know, I'll go to Psalm 142. It helps me to pray. And Jesus talked about that as well. Praying on our own. When you pray, it's both and. It's praying on our own, but it's praying with others. And I do wonder, I guess I wonder, whether a lot of emphasis sometimes in our culture, because I think of individualism and stuff, is put on our own individual personal prayer lives. Whereas I wonder if there is a just intentionality that I need to lean into more of praying with others. And that counts. Not like, yeah, I've done my prayer time on my own, and now I've got to go and pray with others, and somehow that doesn't, you know, no, no, no. It's, it's apparently early Christians, that's all they did, you know, met together to pray. And then we know, again, I know we do that in our life groups. That's why those places are so important, and other smaller settings, running partners, and so on. But the Psalms, I think they help draw us together in prayer, and there's something good about reading them out together and celebrating them. They're in our songs that we sing, full of it. The songs we sing are full of the Psalms. The fourth thing is this. The Psalms help keep us real in prayer or honest in our prayers. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. One of the ways they help me be, remain real, as it were, in my praying is honest, as it were, with the, what's going on in the world and the rest of the world and and the, the, the evil that, that, that is 
perpetuated in situations in the world. And the Psalms, like what are known the imprecatory Psalms, or I don't know exactly how you pronounce it, but it's these Psalms that are really speaking out the curse of God on evil in the world. And I've got to be honest, sometimes if you're going to read the Psalms, you will have come across these Psalms, and they're often in these lament Psalms where they're going, this situation, and, and they're, they're basically praying sort of the, 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 the words of God in, in Deuteronomy and so on, saying, hey, if you turn your back on me, these are the things that are going to happen to you. But what they do for me in helping, I know that we, we can grapple with them in all sorts of ways. One writer said they're the, the ferocious parts of the Psalms. I <laughs> like that. Sometimes it's not all nice in the sense of, you know, it, it, our world is not nice. And I like it that that word is used there, the ferocious parts of the Psalms. And they are some of them. This judgment. They serve as a reminder that there is in the world such a thing as wickedness and evil. And that God will judge those things. They help me keep me honest in that. Oh yeah, Lord, how do I pray? Deliver us from evil, even Jesus said. These things are real. Pray for those who are facing those. You know what I'm saying? But the second way they help keep me honest as well, I think, is honest with myself. I think Marcus touched on this as well in his preach on, on the Lord's Prayer. You know, there is a right reverence to God, yes, in terms of you know, honoring God in, our, in, our, in the way that we speak. But that doesn't mean we have to be religious, kind of in brackets, in our speech, in our language. Does that make sense? There is a reverence, absolutely, but we can just speak normally, as it were, how we normally speak. I don't expect my kids, when they come to me, to speak in a different voice. How art thou, sir, father? They never call me that. (laughs) Different things, yeah. (laughs) But we don't need to. And and again, Marcus unpacked this, but just the, the honesty we have in the Psalms... Um, in, in, in the Psalms, like Psalm 142, verse 4, my spirit is, is overwhelmed. There's other Psalms. Psalm 55, verse 4, talks about how I'm in anguish. Other Psalms ask the question of, why are you downcast, O my soul? And those kinds of Psalms and those kinds of questions give me pause for thought before I move on from them, because if I am feeling downcast, or if, um, what's that psalm that talks about um, anxious, when, when anxious, anxious thoughts are multiplied, and yes, that happens to me, and yes, sometimes my soul is, I feel downcast, and some translations do put depressed in there, why? Why are you? And those psalms help you pray through things. They help you focus on God and give voice to God as well, but they make you ask that question. It helps me just be honest, because I can't hide anything anyway. Psalm 139, O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit up, when I rise down, and I sit down, not sit up, (laughs) you can't sit up. When I sit down and rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all of my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. You know it. Well, I can't hide anything anyway. So I'm not coming into God's presence, you know, to pray, to pretend to God that I'm feeling better than I am. That's pointless. 
I can't hide anything. So it helps me to be honest and real with myself and where I'm at. And also I think that genuinely has a knock-on effect with the community, the kind of community we're part of as well. I wonder whether that just knocks on into our relationships with one another, our honesty to one another. I could unpack that more, but I haven't got time now. But anyway, the Psalms keep us real and honest in prayer. The fifth thing, the Psalms help expand our prayers. Again, the Lord's Prayer that Marcus started, and he, you didn't get through all of it, did you? I think you got through about three or four of those sort of simple lines, these short lines, this beautiful deal that, <laughs> oh, it's so freeing in prayer. When you know it's not down to the quality of your words or the quantity of your words. It's great. One, one writer put it this way, Bruno, he says, Because the Father is good, the much is not required. And because the Father is God, the information is not necessary. I am not praying to inform God of things that he already knows. Or to tell him of things that he's forgotten or doesn't. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm doing. He's my father. Psalm 139. It's this relationship deal that is going on. You know, when you've got children, they might come and tell you things. And you know it. But you delight in hearing it. You delight in it. When they're younger and they come telling you all this stuff. They're things they've discovered. You're like, oh, this is beautiful. This is drawing us closer. Of course, I know that. I'm not going to... I know what you're going through right now, probably maybe more than you do, and God knows that for us, doesn't he? But he delights to hear our voice. We've heard that this morning. He's our Father. Again, listen to Marcus's preach on this. But each of these phrases in the Lord's Prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread, all these things. Each one of those, like Marcus said, you can pray those one line on line, but the Psalms are like, each one is like a doorway you can go through into the Psalms. Like you can walk through it, open a door and go, oh, there's a, some stuff I can get hold of here. Where it's your will be done. Psalm 143, verse 8 and 10 is, you know, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 143 says, teach me the way in which I should walk. Your will be done. Teach me to do your will. Why? Because you're my God. Let your spirit lead me on level ground. It starts to put a bit of flesh on the bones of that prayer. Or forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. There are one, two, three, six or so psalms that are known as um, penitential psalms. They're, they're basically psalms that are about our confession of our, our sin and our failure before God and confessing to God. Psalm 32, if you've got a Bible, turn to it. Often Psalm 51 is where we go because it's a psalm of David. And it literally says it when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and it's a psalm of repentance. And David there prays, God be gracious to me and God help me and so on. It's good to read through, but I thought I'd go to a different one, Psalm 32. This kind of fits with what Jenny actually came and sang, sang earlier. You know, there's nothing between us. How blessed, how happy, how joyful as a one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed, how happy, how joyful is the person to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, who doesn't condemn in that way, who's forgiven. And, and it goes on in verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away, groaning all day long, your hand was heavy upon me. I know what it's like to bottle things up inside, things that are, you know are wrong, but you don't feel like you can say to anyone, 
and you keep it, or even to God and you boil it, they weigh heavy on you. They drain us. But then verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, Lord. My iniquity, I didn't hide it, I didn't try and cover it up, I can't anyway. I confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you. Pray to him. Pray to him. It's a psalm. If you're struggling with sin, it's a, it puts flesh on the bones of, Father, forgive me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's what the psalms do. They're like these doorways you can go through. We could go through every kind of stanza of the Lord's Prayer and show how each one of them is unpacked, unpacked, unpacked in the Psalms and help us to expand on our praying, not for the sake of long prayers. That's really important to say. It's not so I can pray some big long prayers. They just help us in our relationship with God, help us talk to God. So the Psalms root us in God's story. They point us to Jesus. They draw us together in prayer. They keep us real and honest in our praying. They help expand our prayers. And finally, the Psalms, I think, help slow us down in prayer. What do I mean by this? Well, we, we, we all know, obviously, you know, because our culture is a fast culture. It's a busy culture. We know that when we say to people, how are you doing? Busy. Um, it, it's not good. It's not healthy. <laughs> all right, there's all sorts of things that we have to resist and push back on in our culture. But our praying isn't to be, again, if one of my children, say when they were younger, came to me and was like hyper, do you know what the first things I'd do? Be quiet, just a moment, take a breath. Just, just take a breath and now take your time. Just slow down. What's on your heart? What's going on with you? I think that's the compassion of the Father on us in our very busy, hurried world. That we don't have to rush. Eugene Peterson, who was the writer of the message translation of the Bible, he's written loads, a brilliant writer and thinker. He died a while back. And, but he said this are the Psalms, and he delved into them. <laughs> I love this. He just said, look, you cannot speed read a poem. You can't. Not if you really want to read a poem. You can't speed read it. And the Psalms are poetry. It's not about rushing through. But sometimes it's about pausing and delving in. Again, Psalm 143. In the middle of that psalm, it has some of my favorite words. It says that when you, when, 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 you know, I, 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 let me turn to it actually and read it. Psalm 143. I don't know why, but it's one of my favorite psalms. Um, but in the middle of it, in, in verse 5, he says, I remember the days of old. There's the looking back. I meditate on your doings, on your work. And then I muse on the work of your hands. I don't know what translation it is in yours, but this is the NASB, New American Standard Bible. And I muse. I like the word muse. It's not talking muse in the sense of the was it Greek goddesses or daughters of the Greek god. That they're muses but to muse, to ponder, to consider, to pause, to dwell. I muse on your works. I muse. When was the last time you did a bit of musing? 
I'm not talking about the band either. <laughs> when was the last time there was a, a, a part of the story of God that we just, I've just got to think on that, muse on that for a moment. Well, for, not for a moment. Maybe for a day even. You just got it in your mind. You're just thinking of that, pondering those things. That is a biblical thing to do. And I think it slows us down and helps us to pay attention. I don't know about you. I, I do it sometimes when we're singing. I've done it, I've done it this morning. When some of the songs we've been singing, because there's something that stands out. I think I just don't want to rush on from that quite yet in my own mind. There's something there I want to muse and pause on and, and in my own mind. And I don't know whether you do that, but it's a good thing. And I think the Psalms help us just to slow down in our praying and consider and meditate and these sorts of things. Because I think we need to do that more and find ways of doing that in a very, very pressured culture, very pressured culture, in all sorts of different ways. I know the pressures that people are under. But the Psalms, I think, can help us in that. Root us in God's story, point us to Jesus, draw us together in prayer, keep us honest, expand our prayers, and slow us down in prayer as well. They can help keep us praying over a lifetime. I've had 10,000 days. <laughs> I might have another 10,000 more. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I haven't got a clue. But I know the Psalms are going to keep helping me, and they can help you, and they can help us collectively be a praying people as we go into this year, as we carry on. We've had a month of prayer. It's great to have a concentrated kind of deal in that. But let's also explore ways that, that we can keep on growing in this together as a church family. Because it's so important that we do. Shall we stand, please? And um, Tom and the band are going to come and lead us. I think they're going to lead us in a song that is a psalm. Is that right? Psalm 23? Am I right? There you go. And if you're, again, if you're new to Christianity, new to church, you may know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. One of the most read psalms. One of the most written about psalms. A man, if, if, if there's a psalm that points us to Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, let it point us to Jesus now as we sing together. And Lord, I thank you that we get to approach you with boldness. I thank you you help us to pray. I thank you for your word that is rich. I thank you for this big picture story that we're part of, that our prayers are not in a little vacuum, trying to kind of, I don't know, just find meaning in our little corner of the world, but we're part of your story, what you're doing, Jesus, and this beautiful gospel of grace that we've been singing about today, the cross, all that you've done there. And Lord Jesus, I pray you keep pointing us to you and keep fueling us as we call on you in our day. Amen.